This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Go Wide, Reimagining the Landscape of Theology by Martha Elias Downey. This book invites readers to expand their theological, spiritual, and relational horizons by sidestepping the notions of hierarchy and verticality. Go Wide employs the lens of spaciousness to explore biblical stories, theological concepts, and the nature of God, showing how biblical narratives often disrupt the status quo. If you are looking for an accessible, inclusive, fresh take on an ancient course of study, pick up Go Wide, Reimagining the Landscape of Theology, now available on Amazon. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, 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 welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Uh, We are continuing our exciting and kind of spooky series on ghosts and ghouls. And uh, we can't wait to jump into today's episode. Before we do that, though, we're going to do some quick introductions. And um, hey, since I'm talking, I'll just start. My name's Keith Giles. I am one of your many co-hosts. I'm the author of the Jesus Un series of books and the soon to be released, or I guess by the time you hear this, already released, Sola Deus, What If God Is All of Us. Yes, available wherever heretical books are sold. And I am joined by my amazing co-hosts, Katie, December, Shonda, and sometimes Matt. Say hello. Hey, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. I am the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Community. I play the harp. And I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Controlled, <laughs> a little detailed analysis of four verses in 1 Corinthians. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about our kind of spooky supernatural series some more. What's up, everybody? This is December Rose, and I am the author of The Church Can Go to Hell and a few other things. And I'm also so excited uh, for all that we've been talking about leading up to today, but especially today about ancestors, ghosts, how they appear. And I'm looking forward to getting into it, getting into it with us. My name is Shonda Ja. I am the author of Rebels, Despots, and Saints, The Ancestors Who Free Us and the Ancestors We Need to Free. So I am very excited about today's conversation. And I am sometimes Matt, who sometimes forgets to record stone thoughts. Don't! Uh, <laughs> and I just, I, exactly, December, December gets it. So sometimes <laughs> the, stereotype, the stereotypes are true. And it makes you forget some things and forget to check some things off the list. And that, that was one of them. So yeah. to, to Katie's endorphin levels, I apologize. To all the <laughs> listeners who love listening to Stone Thoughts, I apologize. But this just leaves us more room to listen to our Heretic of the Week, our topic for today. So really, I'm just looking out for y'all. You don't need my Stone Thoughts. You need clarity. <laughs> You need You're, clear thinking. You need clear. What does the Bible say? Remain sober-minded, people. <laughs> oh, look. I'm a, a biblical You're, opportunist. But they, good looking You're, out. Yeah. You're safe today, Matt, because it's Woo-hoo! this uncharacteristically sunny day in Ireland. It's like 77 degrees. So I got like natural vitamin D Yay! going on. <laughs> I had a relaxing day. So I don't need the stone thoughts. You know, I don't need the hit. Oh, my gosh. Normally, like he's know. your vitamin Glad D Stefano. Uh, oh, I see what she did there. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh boy, that's just a reason for me to click that little link that I haven't got to click in a while. The bad joke. The bad joke. We combo. love that one. 
That's a great one. It, it used to be a Jamal special. So I we, love it. Do we do we have a hotline instead if we don't have Stone Thoughts? <laughs> We, we, we do just have wondering. a hotline. And does anyone remember do. the, the phone number? Can anyone? Eight, oh, hell no. Without looking at Eight six seven five three zero nine. Yes, no. that was oh, definitely it. That was yeah, eight, certainly eight, the seven. number. <laughs> now you got to sing it. Do you now remember the number? Matt? No, 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 you don't. Matt does. Yeah, two four zero three four three seven seven three seven nine. Yeah, two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. Is it still an it operation? Yeah, we on Apostates Anonymous, we called it. Yeah, we yes. left the voicemail to Ralph, and he hasn't checked it. because he, he hasn't, hasn't checked said. it, but apparently it still works. So people, go ahead and call that hotline. Yeah, we, if you just want to talk to a recording, that will never be heard. But at yes, least you got it off yeah. your chest. Right. That's at right. I point. said what I needed to say. Oh, yeah. So, well, with, in lieu of stone thoughts, shall we introduce our wonderful, gracious... Um, awesome heretic of the week. If you're someone who like values the Bible and cherishes the Bible, but you don't know what the hell to do with it now that you're deconstructing, this will be the guest for you. Very creative person um, who's writing about the Bible in in these super cool ways. So um, let's give it up for our heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Hamilton, and I'm a heretic. Hi. <laughs> yes, oh, believe man. it or not, we are so excited, Heather, to have you on oh, uh, as our heritage. I'm so happy to be here with my support group. Oh, yes. <laughs> we are your support group. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're, you're very yeah. welcome here. <laughs> 12 steps oh. to dropping a book. Yes. That's right. So, Heather, um, you know, we always start off by asking the very important question, why would anybody call you a heretic? Ah. Uh. There's probably a laundry list of reasons um, why someone will call me a heretic. Uh, it probably started out the first time where I kind of realized that people were calling me this. It was like, oh, you're the Christian who doesn't believe in hell. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so really- uh, that wasn't computing for some people. Like, how does that work kind of thing? Um, and then it was, you know, you're affirming, you know, you deny penal substitutionary atonement. I'm sure y'all have heard that kind of thing. And then uh, I'm probably going to get it all over again um, with my book, Returning to Eden, because it is basically this opening up of the biblical stories, um, moving away from little literalism and opening them up as like mythology and symbolic maps into the inner world and trying to lead the reader away from, um, I mean, I would go as far to say is like, I don't think that you have to believe any of it is literal in order to be a Christian um, and just be immersed in this tradition. That's, that's not me saying either way, like what I think, I just don't think it's a requirement whatsoever. So Heather, I'm super curious about your title. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about like why you chose Eden. That feels very provocative. And I'm sure there's a story. Yeah. So on my um, journey, which I can share a little bit about, but um, this huge theme was about um, like my understanding of the spiritual path or spiritual journey being 
going back to the very beginning, like of your life and, um, as Joseph Campbell would say, like discovering the face you had before you were born, like the essence of who you were before you were like literally birthed out of your mother's womb and were mirrored in any way, um, accurately or inaccurately or received any labels or were told anything about yourself. Um, that was like quite literally for me, like that was my spiritual rebirthing experience was kind of detaching from any label about me or any attachment to anything external that I had and like rediscovering what my essence was from the beginning. Um, And so as I was doing that personally in my life, it just became very obvious to me very quickly that these are what the stories were about. Um, And so, yeah, the title Returning to Eden is kind of a nod to that, like a throwback to the very beginning and this sort of rediscovery of like the garden, which is kind of psychologically where I think we all start out in this place of unitive consciousness or oneness with our source. I got to say, I think that's a much more creative and interesting way of approaching the Bible. Um, Because for a lot of Christians, that isn't really even an option. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it wasn't an option for me <laughs> until <laughs> like, yeah, it was an experiential thing that was happening to me. And then I, my mind kind of quickly caught up afterwards. It was like, oh, I need some like symbolic representations for what's happening here. Yeah, exactly. Very, very cool. So I, I, I want to go back to the first question and just ask something about how like, so when you get labeled a heretic or a false teacher or uh, apostate or whatever, how do you typically handle that? Um, I mean, do you, do you jump in and defend yourself and get into, you know, comment wars? Do you uh, whip out scriptures to prove that you're not, you're not, you know, uh, a heretic or, I mean, I, I'm just curious, how, how do you uh, respond when people uh, talk about you that way? Yeah, I think it's kind of changed over time. Like at first, it was like I would put up a blog post or something, you know, like about why I was affirming or something like this. And then I would have like an anxiety attack, like as soon as (laughs) I posted it. And it was almost like kind of this exercise where like I knew that it wasn't just my whole identity, but the way everybody saw me was like very much in this like Christian evangelical space. Like it was whole my whole like milieu, you know, like the whole social environment was this. And so kind of like it was, uh, you know, partly like a justice thing or, you know, just speaking truth or whatever, but also partly like for my own growth and evolution to just like put it out there, witness my little internal freak out, and then either like encounter some people who would be resistant, but then also like sometimes I'd be surprised at like the people that were, you know, in my church or whatever who would like agree with me and sometimes not even publicly. Like I've been so many times, you know, like I'll put up something and it'll feel like 
like no one engaged with it or something. And then I'll like run into somebody like at a fast food place and they'll be like, I just, I love the stuff that you put out. Like it really makes me think. And I'm like, really? Because like (laughs) you have never interfaced with me, you know, like publicly about any of this. So then I started to clue in that it was like, maybe there are more people out there that are kind of not necessarily thinking this way, but are like welcome to like more complex ways of thinking and kind of appreciate like thought provoking ideas or whatever. Um, So there kind of was a season where I would sort of like get into arguments with people and things like that. But I kind of knew for me, like my journey wasn't really like this logical, like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And so I'll go down this rabbit trail thing. Like it wasn't like that for me at all. (laughs) It was basically like if something contradicted my belief system, there was just like a castle wall around it. And it's like the drawbridge did not come down for that information. So it was like if I read like a news article or something that was like, you know, this proves this disproves something about the Bible is like that's out, you know, like they don't know anything. So like just for me personally, I didn't like arguing never really like changed my mind because it wasn't about that. Like for me, it was more of like an unconscious existential terror of like death and hell. And like that was so like such a strong force field that like there was just no motivation at all to like want to untangle any of my beliefs. So my journey started like with an actual like spontaneous mystical experience, which we can kind of talk about, but that's really what kind of like came through like a wrecking ball. And I just had to reconcile like that I was not viewing reality correctly. So personally for me, I've kind of taken the approach of like trying to make quote unquote like religious art, like even with my writing to make it Um, less like a black and white thing, but just something that can like pull you in and like spin your head real fast. You know what I mean? Like just something that pulls you out of like the rational mind. Yep. Um, so yeah, which is another reason why I was so thrilled when Raphael sent my cover over because I feel like he did that like with the art where Mm -hmm. I'm just like, if someone asks me what's my book about, I just got to hold it up like (laughs) this. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's excellent. That's awesome. Well, I think going back to what you were saying earlier about the book itself being um, wanting to go back to this original identity and discover like in your essence of really just who you are without all the other, you know, mm-hmm. garbage. Um, I think that helps um, it, going through that phase you were talking about of wanting to initially to defend yourself or blah, blah, blah. It's like, once you kind of know who you are, it's like, I don't, yeah. you know what I mean? But like when you read these comments, it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know who I am. I know what I believe. And this, this person is, you know, not connected to any of that. Yeah. And it gets, uh, for me personally, I mean, I know that this isn't the case for everyone because I think a lot of people have come to like a more evolved holistic view through like a very rational process. So Mm -hmm. I'm not discounting that, but like just for me sometimes, like when I would get roped into like a really particular black and white thing about theology or whatever, I just got really bored with it. Because to me, it was like the literal reading of the text was like the lowest is like 
doing the ABCs or something, you know, mm-hmm. or like learning hot cross buns in, in, <laughs> in middle school band when it's like, I'm like, I'm like listening to Beethoven over here. You know what I mean? Like, this is so much more interesting. I don't want to go pick apart hot, hot cross buns again. You know, like if you want to go do it, it's fine. But like, I'm just kind of bored. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Something you said earlier that I'm I'm a spoken word artist and something you said earlier prompted a poem. I like, let me go over here and write that down if I forget that. Oh, Um, yes. You said something earlier that made me think, who were you before they told you? And Mm. so if you ever hear that performed one day, you know that you started that shit. You know? mm, so anyway, I cannot wait to hear that. <laughs> so I love the idea of your book. I love where you're headed with this. I love the fact that you say, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be true to be the truth for you. As in, you don't have to believe all this shit happened. You don't have to believe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. somebody was bucket naked in the nude in the middle of the garden, <laughs> just swinging and jangling, and then they <laughs> ate this the fruit, and then all of a sudden, oh my god titties everywhere you know you don't have to you don't have to believe that all that happened or whatever the case to just believe that god is real and believe in the general idea of faith so what i want to know is how did you arrive here how did you get from everything the word this is the word of god infallible or whatever it is all the way to you know what take it or leave it take the truth it is the truth it is the truth it's abstract uh, it's mm-hmm. imagination, it's mythology, it's whatever, but you know, take it how you want it. Where did you, how did you arrive at this place? Yeah. How did so you get I'll, to Eden? <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'm going to make the long story short. So y'all have permission to like hurry me along if I'm like going off on a rabbit trail. But okay. So we, my husband and I were like, this was about four and a half years ago. We were like super involved um, at this evangelical mega church. He was like the music director at this mega church and we were doing ministry. Like I loved it. It was our whole thing, you know, like just everything was this. And long story short, I had like just had our third child and I, in that pregnancy, like had been dealing with some like really intense anxiety where it was like, you know, I was kind of like a good, straight and narrow, like evangelical American successful woman. I got my three kids, you know, like my husband's this music director and like, you know, we followed the right path and like God's blessed us and we're like rocking and rolling, you know? And, but like, then I would just be having these episodes of anxiety, which I'm like, get it together, Heather. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you can handle this or whatever. And like, basically a few weeks after we had my, our third daughter, I just had some like major revelations about um about my life. Like there were just missing puzzle pieces that were not fitting in. So I kind of had this scattered puzzle of my life that didn't seem to have like a cohesive thread. Like there was just all this random, I could tell you like so many random stories, you know? Anyways, I had some major revelations and it was like, bam, the whole puzzle like came together and it, I like saw myself. <laughs> Um, which I know is like a little bit vague, but it was like, oh my God, like I suddenly understood like why I had made every decision in my life, which led me to question every decision in my life. And it was like this really intense identity crisis, um, which like sent me into like very intense panic, which I had not like experienced before. And this was like over a matter of days. So it was basically like over the course of like not even a week, 
I went from like totally fine to like having a conventional nervous breakdown, so to speak, but also sort of having the awareness that there was like this spiritual thread in it. Like I knew it wasn't strictly like a mental health thing, although it was that, but it was like I was having such intense clarity about my life. Um, And so this kind of like climaxed one evening with me like just crying out to God and it kind of feeling like this psychological crucifixion where it was like God, my image of God totally evaporated. Like it was this, why have you forsaken me? Like whatever I thought was supposed to be happening in this moment is not reality. Like (laughs) no one's coming to rescue me. And it was just this very um, precise recognition of like, this is what hell is. Like this is what this is referring to. Um, And pretty soon after that, like once I had gotten into therapy and was like working with a therapist and, you know, had like an action plan to recover from the whole thing, I was like, I think that this is where Jonah was. I think whatever state I was in is where he was. And so kind of quickly, like the gem just started turning where it was like, you know, I hadn't like the story of Jonah and the whale was like not at at all like a part of like my daily thought. I don't think about that story. You know what yeah. I mean? It was just yeah, like something, okay, I don't understand how that would have worked, but like God's so big, <laughs> he can do anything. So it's whatever. But suddenly it was like, I think this is what he was talking about. And that kind of opened up these stories um, as like, what I would call like mythological maps where it's like the stories um, what's important about them is like not the historical, like they're not supposed to be read like a CNN headline or something, you know, like Like Jonah got swallowed by the whale, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, these are like symbolic representations of the psychological and spiritual transformation process. So once I kind of realized that and I was like, I, I think this is what it was about, and I'm experiencing my own personal transformation, like in the midst of it. Like I started going back and actually like reading the stories again, and like in the King James, Jonah's like, "Out of the belly of hell I cried," and I'm like, "Oh my god, what the hell?" Like he's in hell, you know what I mean? It's like we never learned that part. Like we were told he yeah. was in an actual whale's belly. He's saying he's in hell, you know. So I'm like. What is Hmm. it? And what is this? You know, like what? Anyway, so that was like the beginning of this opening up. Um, And part of like my own personal transformation, this kind of reconnection with my essence is something, a theme I describe in the book, which I call like the true self. You could call it true self or inner child or essence or whatever. And kind of realizing like my whole entire life up to then had kind of been this false self or egoic personality or coping mechanisms or whatever. Um, And that is like kind of what had to die. And so I kind of analyzed that story like through the Adam and Eve story of like, you know, Adam falling asleep in the garden and it never says that he woke up and it was like, this is what happened to me. Like I fell asleep at some point to my true self or my essence And waking up to it was like, 
waking up from this spiritual amnesia. Like it was like, oh, I've been here before, but it's all brand new. So anyways, yeah. So I kind of take this psychological concept of like this reconnection, like with your essence and allowing like your authentic self to come to actualize in your outer life so that the inner world and the outer world are starting to match. It's like, oh, I think that this is what like the two becoming one flesh is really about. Like this spiritual essence inside of me, like consummating to like my physical material world. That was what like the biblical marriage, you know, Keith, I know you did the biblical marriage thing. That's what it's about to me. It's like the spiritual and material world consummating into one flesh so that there's not this contradiction. So, yeah, it was like I can be affirming because I don't even think that this is talking about a man, an actual man and a woman. I think it's talking about this masculine and feminine part in you, the masculine kind of being represented by the rational mind and, you know, there's different qualities to masculinity. And then the feminine part is like this generative, creative life force Mm -hmm. that can actually be really disruptive and sometimes destructive in your life. And so like we push it down and make it like subservient to like the masculine, you know, and it's like wedding these into like this balance and harmony where, you know, by the two coming together, it gives birth to something completely new, which would be represented by Christ. But, you know, that keeps going. I love that. Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> That's so good. Well, just even the way, just listening to the way you just described these different parts and stories in the Bible, it's like, I almost want to go back and reread them now because now suddenly like, oh my gosh, there's these beautiful layers mm-hmm. uh, of meaning that, I mean, the thing about Adam goes to sleep, but it doesn't say he woke up. Like, yeah, like this shit. whole thing has been a dream. And like, yeah, that's what it I felt like. Like, oh my God, what have, what have I been doing for the last, like, this was when I was 32, like 32 years of my life. I feel like it felt like that. Like it felt like I woke up for the first time, even yeah. physically, like my senses were like, oh my God, the sun, like it's so <laughs> hot, you know, like, like having these moments, you know? Yeah. So, so I, just from the time we have left, I want to ask quickly about, so then, uh, what made you decide you wanted to write this book? Um, and, and I'm hoping all of that is in your book, right? Yeah. Well, I kind of, to go back to the Jonah myth, I do, I do personally think that like everybody has some myth that they have to find, um, in their life and without it, um, the journey's just more difficult. Like any journey is more difficult, like without a map, Right. So like I can go try to like walk from here to Canada, but it's like going to be harder to get there if I don't have a map, you know? So that's kind of what these myths are to me. But in order to find your myth, you kind of have to know your location and like the patterns that are playing out in your life and sort of like the archetypes that you're living out. So Jonah has like been a big one for me. And so part of writing this book, it was like, I don't really want to do it. (laughs) Like I was like, I had all this newfound wisdom, like from my experience in the belly of the whale or whatever, you know, it was like, okay, in the belly, things get digested and the energy literally gets metabolized and becomes a new body. Like it becomes a new creation. You know, if I eat food, Mm -hmm. that food becomes my body. So I'm like, 
I have all the, I have like this whole new language now that I, it's just kind of me. And I would kind of try to explain it to people, but it was like a lot to explain and they weren't really getting it. And so I was like, what do I do with this? Like, I feel like this needs to inform my life and my work somehow. So I was like, you know, maybe I go back to school and I become a therapist or something like that. Like I was trying to, I was trying to do these different things that actually felt less vulnerable to me than like just putting it out there in a book. And like the doors just kept slamming so hard shut on all this stuff. Like I would like pursue it. And then it was like, you know, like my husband changes jobs, you know, it's like absolutely cannot spend that kind of money on school right now. Like that option's off the table kind of thing. So it's kind of like, my world would just like rattle and the doors would slam shut until there was like nothing left for me to do. Like, I just felt like it was like, this is in you. Like you're already kind of pregnant with it and you're going to go neurotic if you don't get it out there. So it was like, all right, I got to just start writing the book. And then when I started writing it, it was like, I don't have a publisher. I was like, maybe I'll just write it for my kids and leave it on the computer until I die. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> they'll know, you know, what I think. But um, it kind of just fell out of me really quickly. Like, I sort of realized, like, oh, this is like a child that's just in me and then came out. And then, like, so once it was there, I feel like that the doors then started to open for me to actually, like, get this message out. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been the journey. Like I wasn't like, oh, it's this huge dream to become an author and now I'm going to go do that. It was like, oh crap, I think I'm pregnant with a baby and it needs to drop out. (laughs) (laughs) Not drop out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's how you can tell it's a prophetic text, right? I think Mm. that's one of the things Mm -hmm. we get wrong about the prophets is Mm -hmm. they were more like Jonah than... The folks yeah. who were like, I have a prophetic word, because those people are a little too excited about the task ahead of them. Yes. Um, so that really resonates for me, that that idea of, oh, I am not excited about doing this. And that might actually be an indicator that I am supposed to be doing it. Yes. Um, yeah, I appreciate that very, very much. So Heather, it's been such a gift to get to hear your story. Thanks so much for carving out the time. Um if people want to connect with you, if they want to uh, learn more about you, for, uh, how can they how can they do that? Yeah, thank you for asking. You can go on to Amazon.com and get my book, Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton. It's on you know print, ebook, or audiobook. Um, you can go to my website, which is returningtoeden.com, um, and that has all my social links. But I'm on Instagram at HeatherHamilton1 or on Facebook. Um, if you just search Heather Hamilton Author, you'll find me. That's perfect. Yeah. And we'll have all of that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Heather. you for having thank me. Thank you, Heather. Oh, man. So good, Heather. Thank you so much for being our Heretic of the Week. Um, I want to say. Heather's amazing. And if you haven't read that book, you really need to go out and grab it. Uh, it's a super, super book. Great stuff. And uh, it'll be a very stimulating, thought-provoking read uh, for your summer. Check it out. Awesome. Thank awesome. you, Heather. Yes, thank Thanks, you, Heather. So I had mentioned I am super psyched about today because there is actually some debate about whether ancestors are ghosts or not. And so it felt like a great opportunity to dive into that subject. So where I want to start, y'all, is, um, and 
Matt, you while you didn't do stone thoughts, you were welcome to toke up now and join the conversation. <laughs> totally okay. Um, I wonder if any of you have had interactions with people you know, people you love, family members from beyond the grave. Keith, you've already shared a couple of stories, so yeah. I know that you have. I wonder if there are any you left out. Um, December, Katie, any interactions you've had with people you know from beyond the grave? I have not that I could say this was definitively somebody from beyond the grave. Mm-mm. It's interesting because you have connected with like so many spirits, but none yeah. of them are ones that are known to you. That she knows of. Mm-mm. That you know of. Yeah. yeah that I Maybe know of. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How about I you? have. Oh, Katie, sorry. Um, I, I have, but not in a ghost way, but mm-hmm. in a, in a more cultivated way. Cause it's like, I teach metaphysics and stuff. So that's kind of part, part and parcel of um, healing work that I encourage people to engage in. Although I would say it's ancestors, like it's been in the background and it's been a little more explicit about the past two years working with ancestors, but that's like me reaching out and saying, let's like, let's connect. So yes, but not, that's never been scary. I've been pissed off at some of them, but it's not scary. And you feel like you're actually having like a conversation and stuff. I wouldn't say um, just the way I kind of operate is not quite like that, but communicating. Yeah. Communicating at least. Okay. Wow. Well, maybe we should, but maybe we'll get into that a little bit later too. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than the stories I shared a couple episodes ago where, well, I don't know. See, that wasn't really an ancestor. It was sort of a, my dad's best friend. Mm -hmm. So you like, wasn't related. Um, Mm -hmm. But didn't you have some Well, that's true. No, no, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And my mom has too. My mom has uh, several times. In fact, my mom wrote this really sweet poem the other day about it because um, Mm. I think she has a little bit of guilt, you know, over uh, like the end of my dad's life. And um, so she wrote a little thing about that, about how if he comes back again and, and lies, you know, lays down on the bed again and puts his arm around her, that she'll, she'll know that that's a sign of forgiveness. Mm. So I thought that was really sweet. And I mean, to me, the fact that it's already been happening is already a sign of forgiveness. You know, I don't think it needs to happen again for that to happen, but I just, I thought it was really interesting that on her own, um, that's kind of the way she's approaching it, you know, that it's him coming back and kind of expressing, um, to her that everything's okay. So that's like been a really healing thing. It's really beautiful. Oh, I love Mm. that. I love that. You know, it's interesting because my relationship to ancestors is a lot more about the lessons I learn from what I've researched about them. It doesn't tend to be as much about direct connection with a spiritual energy, um, which isn't to say it's not a thing. It's just not generally the way I connect with them. Um, That said, I'm not I'm not sure I've talked about this on the show because it seems heretical by the standards of this show. Um, I've had moments (laughs) where I I know, right. Um, I have had moments where I've had the experience of Jesus being physically present to me, right. In, in a really, really, really awful time in my life. I was, I can't believe I never put it in these words before I was sitting in a garden alone. Um, so yeah, you know. very much like that song. I'm very and embarrassed. Yeah, I know. I know. I had never thought of that before. Um, 
as late at night, it was dark. There were very few places on the college campus where you could get alone, uh, get, get away and be alone. And the president's garden was one place. Um, it was truly one of the worst parts points in my life. And, uh, it was the only place I could go to cry because I had four roommates and I didn't, and this was a very politicized moment and there was a lot of attention on me. And, uh, I, I went to the garden so that I could have a place where I could cry. And I very much felt an arm around my shoulder in that moment. Right. Um, I don't tell the story very much because I know that makes me sound crazy. Um, and like, I have my own, um, I have my own kind of, did I just imagine it, even though it felt very real at the time. Um, to me, that's also an ancestral connection, right? Cause I don't think ancestors are just people we're biologically connected to. I think of Jesus. I think of the people in the Bible, uh, as spiritual ancestors, um, and I think they are people who are constantly teaching me because through, you know, through mistakes, through great things, through navigating hardship, like I learn a lot from their stories. Um, but that was a time that I felt like I had an actual connection and I consider it to be a connection with an ancestor. That's really um, cool. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I, I grew up in a very like mainline Protestant world where you don't talk about stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. So I keep it to myself for the most part. Yeah. Now I've, I've had, um, a couple of, like you're describing pretty intense, very real, um, how do you, what do you call it? Sort of experiences with Jesus like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know now because my theology has changed a little bit. Like how do I exactly yeah. define it? What really, what, what was going on exactly there? Um, but there was something really real and intense like that. Um, uh, I have mm -hmm. two experiences like that. I won't tell the stories, but yeah, similar to what you're saying where, uh, so I would, I don't think it's unusual for someone to say that, oh yeah, I feel like I had a, a moment in my life where I felt like I had a very intense and real encounter with, at least at the time, someone that you would have said, this is Jesus, right? So I think this raises the question, like, how are we defining ancestors? Um, and I think most people, it's certainly been my experience in the work that I've been doing around ancestors. Katie and I just did a conference. Uh, and I think what draws people to it is the questions about the people that they come from biologically, right? The people they're connected to through DNA. Um, and that's a legitimate and important thing uh, to think about. And it's we can deal with some really hard and complicated stuff because our ancestors that we're connected to biologically usually were a mixture of good, bad, and ugly. They were messy. They were heroes. They were villains. They were people who struggled and couldn't get ahead. Um, and there's a lot to, for us to learn from them, but they're not the only ancestors to, to my mind. I really do think that we can also, a lot of us turn to people who are from our cultural background, even if they're not biologically connected and we turn to their wisdom Um you know, for me, the obvious one would be Mahatma Gandhi, right? Um, and there's also, I believe, spiritual ancestors, right? You know, I do not think I share any DNA with Jesus, um, but that's definitely a spiritual ancestor to me. And I think there are also, this is a really important one for me, movement ancestors. There are a lot of people who were involved in social justice work many generations ago who I turn to for strength and encouragement and support. Um, do any, I'm just curious, because this is a practice that a lot of people get anxious about in certain Christian spaces, 
But I know an awful lot of people who maybe won't talk about it at church, but have altars built to their ancestors. I wonder if any of you have played around with that, what it's meant to you. I know for sure Katie has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, on the video here, you can't see us, but we're as we're recording this, we have video and I just pointed over my shoulder. Uh, I have a very large photograph of my dad, um, which is a photo that we enlarged, that we used for his um, memorial service. And uh, it's just a photo of him. As I was going through photos, getting ready for his memorial service, um, I came across that photo. And to me, that was that was like, if I had to pick one photo, it was that one. And I kind of thought like if my dad was looking over my shoulder, helping me pick out photos, he would have stopped and said that that one. You know, it felt like he was like, yeah, this is the one. And it's a, just a picture of him in the desert. It's from a, it's a really great memory as a time here in El Paso where uh, me and my dad and my best friend and his dad um, and some other family members just went out to the desert and did some target shooting and had a great time together. And it's just a picture of my dad. There's a big smile on his face and he looks like a cowboy. <laughs> um, and so I, I on purpose hung it over my shoulder like this because I do so many podcasts and interviews that my dad is always over my shoulder. Like, uh, in a, in a real way. So, you know, if someone's looking at me or I'm looking at my own picture as I'm doing the a podcast interview, my dad is right there with me. And so that's kind of my <laughs> alter. You've seen the father. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think that um, as a concern, you know, ancestors in the form of ghosts and spirits and things, I, I'm on the fence about whether or not our actual actual ancestors come back and have words or thought or, you know, or presence, um, versus, um, you know, because, you know, the scriptures say that the, the spirit returns to the father and the body returns to the ground, to the dust, you know, or whatever. Um, so I'm like, uh, is this a soul floating around or what, you know, but the soul is supposed to go back to the father or is it the spirit is the spirit and the soul, the same thing. Anyway, anyway, mm-hmm. those are the things that be going on in my mind, but I do tend to think that, um, when, when, um, I don't want to say this when a, a, uh, a, a, a spiritual manifestation happens, I, and this is in my own mind, maybe someone else can concur. I tend to think we can, uh, rationalize it in the way that it makes sense to us the most to be receptive. So we may say, okay, this is this, or this is that so that I could be accepted. This could be acceptable to me. and doesn't freak me the hell out or, it's, I want to be comforted. So I, this is my grandmother, you know, and then sometimes some people have, there's been, uh, people who have said specifically, I know it's this person because something they said that that person said when they were living or yeah. I smelled something, I smelled that person. Oh yeah. There's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And so I know it was that person because this and this and this happened. And this was something that was characteristic of them when they were living. So I think it could be, you know, mm-hmm a lot of different reasons why it would seem as if, or it actually is that our ancestors have visited us in some kind of way. And it could also, I want to say this to it. Maybe Shonda, you could, or, or Katie can elaborate on this. When I hear the word ancestors, I automatically tend to, to default to like way, way, way back, maybe even before my grandmother, like almost Africa back that far back. Um, but it doesn't have to be that far back. It could be any soul that's not walking the earth in the flesh right now, you know, in my mind. What about you all? 
when you hear that word ancestors, what what is that what state what does that push you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a great question. Yeah, I think so. I know nothing about this subject. I just want to say I'm learning as I'm listening to you guys uh, who know more about this than I do. But uh, the the gist that I'm receiving, that I'm getting, uh, you know, learning about is that, yeah, I think ancestors are just anyone uh, who has passed on. And it could be a year ago or it could be 200 years ago, right? Or a thousand years ago. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I think... Once someone dies, it makes them an ancestor. So I think of some people who uh, who have died recently that I still turn to for wisdom. And uh, some of them I call ancestors too soon if they died earlier than yeah. and, or not of natural causes or something like that. But I, I think of them as ancestors as well. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. in my family tradition, like the Hindu tradition, uh, people put pictures of... Uh, ancestors, generally like family members who have died, also gurus um, on the altar. And I don't have an altar per se in my house, but I every every family member who has passed, I have hung a picture on the wall. The thing that I do wrong uh, is in terms of like the the traditional uh, Hindu approach is I actually put pictures of them with me. Uh, on the wall, which I think is maybe, yeah, the wrong way to do an altar. Yeah. I think you're not really supposed to have living people in the mix, Uh uh, but I like remembering my times with them. Right. And so, right. Yeah. um, And it's, it's one of the things I grew up with, right. Like, like my family members at the end of each night, they would light incense and they would kind of wave it around those pictures kind of to uh, honor them. So yeah, I think, uh, I think that that's a really beautiful and connective thing. It keeps them alive in some really beautiful ways. Um, so awesome. And I'd love to, yeah, Katie, go ahead. And then I think Keith has a question for us. Um, yeah. So around altars, um, I do. So I, I teach all my people that, to have an altar space where they can uh, do spiritual work. And in mine has migrated a lot over the years. So I used to have one altar space and I just had a small space on there for ancestors in different ways. Now in like in the past month, I have a small bookshelf, like a square bookshelf with four levels on it. And so two of those are different altars and one is to ancestors. And so I do find it helpful. And that's where, as I mean, as of really, really recently, I've also started giving offerings um, at the altar space of food and drink and lighting a candle for them and sometimes having chats with them. And in fact, I'm about to, I'm bi-continental right now between Europe and the U S. And so I thought, what do I, what do I do when I go? But like the altar is, is an option, right? It's not like we have to have an altar space. I am just such a concrete person. It helps focus my energy. I mean, that's why I do it. I don't think it's like a requirement or anything like that um, as well. So. And Katie, I got to say, like 17 people I grew up with in Akron, Ohio, are having heart palpitations just at the fact that you said, I'm a Christian and I lay food in my at this altar. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's worth like I I think it's worth naming that because there might be some folks uh, listening who are also like, oh, I was definitely taught that's not okay." Um, And and I think there's sometimes a journey involved in that. But also you've got some cultural context where that's actually very much a part of 
Christian culture as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't grow up with it. Yeah, but the, um, I mean, interestingly, the ancient Christians, I mean, we have reports from like third, fourth century, they would go on what we now call All Saints Day and have picnics in graveyards with their ancestors. Yeah. And so like this has a really ancient roots. Um, Just, I feel like European Christianity has um, demolished some of those, unfortunately. So time to reclaim yeah. them. Yeah. And I definitely, I mean, I have a lot of yeah. uh, ancestors from South, Southern Louisiana who most certainly did this kind of thing. Yeah, no. So that's a great point, Katie. Um, I, I think you're right. Like it's, it's fascinating to see how cultures other than sort of white European cultures um, have long traditions of doing exactly this, like taking the time to celebrate the dead and remember them. Um, and commune with them and, inter- and as if they are still here interacting with them, even expecting that they could um, still, you know, interact with us today. Um, I, Cause as you guys were talking to, I was thinking about like the, the day of the dead, which a lot of um, Hispanic, uh, you know, South American cultures take time to celebrate that, which I think is so beautiful, but it's so foreign of being again, an old white guy. <laughs> I had never had anything like that in my background my family never took time to celebrate that. And, and I think it's awesome that you, you know, that that is something that you're still doing or that you're starting to do. Um, and that we're talking about this. So Mike, I have a question because we, we, you all, some of you have, uh, and even just right there, Katie, you kind of hinted at some of that, but again, as someone, um, I'm speaking for everyone listening who is like me, who is, this is all brand new to you and you have no idea exactly what's going on. So I'm going to ask the question. Um, cause it seems like, um, it isn't just remembering those people that have passed. It seems like there is some of what you guys have said. We can talk to them. We can interact with them. We can hear from them. Um, and and so I'm just curious, like, what are some of the ways that that interaction happens? Um, what are some of the elements involved with that? You've mentioned an altar, but maybe there's other things uh, that are involved with this. Like, I'm just curious about that whole thing about how does the um, how does the interaction take place? Is there a way to facilitate that? Um, yeah, just how does that work? Oh, go ahead, December. No, no, you're the you're the expert on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because Katie and I have different ways of coming at it, which is why it's been fun to work together on some of this stuff. Because um, for me, a lot of the ancestor connection work is a lot of engaging the imagination, right? Like I, um, I think of Paul Robeson as one of my great personal heroes. He was just a a radical civil rights activist and actor and musician, uh, whose career was destroyed by the house on American activities committee, uh, back in the 1950s, because he had been hanging out with too many anti-fascists basically. Um, and I think about him a lot and there are times that I am trying to figure out whether something's worth taking a risk on and I'm trying to figure out if I'm brave enough to do it, if it's worth the consequences. And I'll sometimes do a little bit of a check-in on if Paul Robeson were sitting here with me now, I wonder what advice he would offer. Um, And so I, I think that's a legitimate way of engaging ancestors. And it doesn't mean that I think he's actually present with me or that I think it's a physical encounter. It's, it's much more a calling on his wisdom. Um, We had Patrick Reyes on Heretic Happy Hour a while back, and uh, 
Patrick at the Ancestor Summit, Katie and I just did, was sharing a story about how he was hanging out with a good friend of his. And his friend at some point after a few drinks was like, buddy, I got to confess something to you. Uh, I am a descendant of Robert E. Lee. Um, no, Jefferson and Davis. Patrick's like that. Jefferson Davis. That's right. It was Jefferson worse Davis. than Robert E. Lee. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if it's worse. It was, yeah, Jefferson Davis. Thank <laughs> you. And and Patrick's like, I, I don't got Jack to do with me, but okay. Uh, so why, why, why are you concerned about that? And he's like, well, he did horrible, horrible things. And Patrick like kind of shifts into pastor mode. And he's like, so what do you think? Do you think Jefferson Davis would be proud of you? Uh, and the guy was like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work around racial justice and social justice. And I think he'd be really mad about that. But, you know, I got an education and these other things that I think he'd be proud of. And so, like, they had a conversation about, like, how wow. he would engage Jefferson Davis. And this is the thing. Even when ancestors aren't haunting us, even when they're not present in any sort of, like, tangible, physical way, they're still haunting us. Um, the, the ones who experienced harm, the ones who did harm, those legacies live on in us. And I think that actually engaging them, kind of saying, here's what I am fixing that you did wrong, or here's the harm you went through that, um, I want to make a world where other people don't have to go through that. That can be incredibly therapeutic. Um, so that's a way to engage ancestors that maybe, um, isn't a super big stretch for folks uh, in terms of it feeling like it's going into a different kind of religious space. But Katie, you also have some really beautiful practices. I wonder if you'd be willing to share. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's arisen for me pretty organically and with some guidance. I mean, I have sought guidance around it because like I said, I didn't really grow up doing this kind of thing. And um, I grew up particularly proud of my ancestors, not particularly ashamed of them. Uh, I've done a lot of my genealogy. Um, in high school in a horrific project <laughs> that was required of me when I was a junior. Um, so I think it depends on how we understand what happens to us after death. So my current understanding, which I am totally open to having change at some point, is that we have a higher self that is always in direct union with God. And we always have access to that. Oh. I don't always have clear access to it, but I always have access to it. And then I think we have a part of ourselves that's always learning that doesn't have that direct access necessarily. And that part that's always learning goes and as, as I talked about, you know, a hundred episodes ago, comes back again uh, into new lives and learns. And that part of ourselves that um, after we die on this earth is um, somewhere, I don't know where, but uh, still in learning mode are the ancestors that we can connect with. And so those ancestors, yeah, I mean, I connect with them in a couple of ways. Um, I mean, the scary word, we'll talk about it more next episode is mediumship. And I have just really rudimentary training in mediumship, but that is possible. Um, so I, I, I have connected with some ancestors, although I don't do it all the time. It's not, I don't walk around just sort of connecting all the time, but um, have some practice with that. But I think for me, it's just honoring the presence of those ancestors in life. Um, and sometimes that just included me being really pissed off at them. Like, Hey, you've yeah. all, you know, mm -hmm. this is the family the, we have some weird family systems. What, what, 
why why is why did this happen in this way? What could we have done better? <laughs> what could you have done better um, in this way? Um, and so that's also like healing those relationships, which has been really I think beneficial just for me personally. And so it's in that sense, it's no different than any kind of prayer, sitting, being intentional, mm-hmm. conversing with the part of mm-hmm. those the personality or the part of those ancestors that is still somehow around. I don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, but I do think they have some insights, the ones who have done their work and have done their healing work. Um, and they have insights to offer me and I, I might have insights to offer them too as well. Cause they're, they're I still learning. They... They're still on their journey. So, so I yeah, I mean, so really it's light a candle. That... Sorry. Yeah. So it's just light a candle, have some food, talk a little bit, say, have a great day, go on with life. So, <laughs> and, and to live my best life, living my best life is the, the best way I can honor them. Go ahead, Shonda. Were you gonna so, yeah, there? I was going to say, I, I love this. And I think it points to the questions, December, that you and I both wanted to raise that kind of connect back to this larger theme of ghosts and ghouls, right? So I wanted to know what you all think about whether ancestors are ghosts. Um, and December, you had uh, an even deeper question than that. Yeah, yeah. Before I get to that question, though, while you guys were talking, I kept thinking <laughs> one of the ways that we interact in, with our ancestors, especially in the Afro-Hispanic cultures, I'm pretty sure in just about almost all cultures, um, maybe except for the old white guy culture like Keith was talking about, but <laughs> uh, all the other cultures, um, one of the ways that we interact with uh, those ancestors could be through celebration and honor. I am yeah. thinking of, I am thinking, I am thinking of one of the things that I'm thinking of right now that keeps coming to mind. I know this is going to sound funny. It's Coco. Y'all seen the movie Coco? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I've been thinking yeah. about this whole episode. hundred percent. This yeah. whole episode, I, since y'all been talking, I was like Coco and he's like, my picture is not in your friend. And I'm like all this, you know, mm-hmm. and because the, the, the belief behind that and the pictures up there and celebrating and this is the, you know, they celebrate, um, is it, I don't want it's day of the dead. Right. And dead, yeah. Yeah. And so where they're like, we're giving the food and we're having the dance and we're doing all this and we're just honoring it's honor and celebration. And I think that by itself is also an, an interaction. So when you said it's just uh, early on, Shonda, you said by the imagination. And I think it's just, however, the culture and the people decide that they want to interact with, with their ancestors according to what they believe. Right. Um, I'm thinking of a scripture too. I say that was, there's a scripture that says, as a man thinks in his heart. So is he, is that uh, where, where that scripture is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am rusty on where exactly the scriptures are. Cause I haven't flipped them, the books regularly, like I used to when I was pastoring, but yeah, I'm thinking of that. And I'm thinking, you know, in every culture, mostly people have a way. And 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 I take that back, Keith, about the the white old white guy culture. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't <laughs> traditional uh, Americans, and by tradition, I mean the ones that immigrated here, not the ones that owned this place before anyone showed up. Um, yeah. And of course, I we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Native American culture absolutely honors and acknowledges, celebrates oh, yeah. ancestors. They really do. Yes. They um, do. Yes. Uh, uh, really, like on on a heavy level, but. Uh, traditional Americans, the ones who immigrated here and, and, and took over and did all that crazy shit they did. Y'all, <laughs> um, I think they unwittingly also celebrate and honor ancestors in a way that they might not think of, right? So if you have, and even 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 in, you know, African-Americans, if you, if you have a barbecue, if you have a cookout every year in honor of Big Mama that passed, that is not any different to me 
then the then Co- and Coco were there celebrating their ancestors. Like if you you know if we decide we're gonna have a cookout every year, this happens in African American culture a lot, where somebody passed or they were shot or they went on that was very significant to the family. Every year they might gather and have a cookout or a dinner or something. To me, that's the same thing. To me. Right. You might not say it, but you're all coming together to honor someone who has passed. Right. (laughs) And and you're acknowledging that person. You're talking about them. And for that brief moment, however long it is, that person is there in fellowship with you. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just how you choose to honor and, and how you choose to interact with your ancestors by the culture, even just by the, on down to the family level for those who might have lost a child uh, every year. Maybe you go visit that grave and bring flowers or bring their favorite candy or something. And that's how you choose to interact. It's just by the imagination, mm-hmm. the heart and the spirit of the person that's choosing to do the interacting. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Are you at all a fan of Roy Wood Jr.? Anybody here? He's a comedian. Uh, yes. I just saw him do this yes. bit the other day where he was like, "Black people have ancestors. White people have forebears." He's like, "Anytime I hear somebody say forebear, it's one of those words where I'm like, it's not racist, but it might lead to some racism. So anytime somebody <laughs> says forebear, I just lean back and listen real hard to see where it's going to go." Uh, yeah. So well, I loved that yeah. distinction. Yeah, I think he says forefathers, but yeah. It's forefathers, my bad. Yeah, yeah. You're right, it is, yeah, yeah. it's forefathers. I saw, Thank you. I saw that, I love that. So I, I want to say too, something along those lines too, that um, sometimes white people <laughs> um, honor their- that, that, Sorry to what? jump in, that needs to be like a new bit. Sometimes white people- uh, <laughs> Can we you know make what? that a pillow let's, in the yeah, let's, let's Let's make that a regular thing. Sometimes white people- um, <laughs> So sometimes white people- um, uh, honored their forefathers uh, in a in a in a really horrible way. So I have a story. This was an uncle of mine by marriage, thank God, not by birth. Um, but went to visit him one time in Tennessee, and took my boys. Me and Mundy took our boys, and they were little. And uh, he took us out to dinner. We were at a restaurant, and um, in the restaurant, really loud. I mean, he did not whisper this. He said this really loud. He said, "Well, Will Keith, uh, are you a racist at all?" And I'm like no. And he goes, well, I'm a racist. I'm a big old racist. And then he says this, wow. this is, I never forget this. He says, well, cause you know, you know, Keith, um, my daddy was a racist. My granddaddy was a racist and his granddaddy was a racist. And I just feel like, you know, if I'm, if I'm not the same as them, I'm like spitting on their grave. And the first thing that popped into my head was like, my daddy was a moron. My granddaddy was a moron. <laughs> And if I'm not a dumbass, then I'm just spitting on their grave. It's like, no, you could think for yourself, dummy. But uh, but and anyway, there are but, some but, graves that are worth spitting on. That's a whole yeah, other conversation. Yeah. But but see, but see, I noticed how he made it all about honoring his forefathers yeah. because, well, there's this great tradition in my family, and they they gave their lives, you know, dying for the, for something they believed in, which was something horrible, by the way. But um, but I just thought that was weird that he invoked this sort of forefathers thing to justify his racism. That's crazy. So crazy. So Matt, I think you had something um, you wanted to clarify about when we talk about whiteness. Well, yeah. I mean, the way I, I don't think white culture, I think, I think earlier the the term white culture was said, and and I'm sure it was said in jest. Yes. Yes. I don't think white culture is a thing, which is the great irony. And I, uh, it really hit me when we had Chandra on pre host, this was back in our, um, in, in when, when Chandra was a, uh, Chandra was a guest host. Um, 
And at that time, I was doing a lot of my own ancestry work and like doing DNA stuff and going to different genome sites and all that. And what Chandra was talking about, I want, I keep wanting to say Chandra. My, one of my wife's best friends is Chandra. Shonda was um, talking. I, it, it was hitting me hard because it was, it was a realization that it dawned on me that white whiteness strips white people of their own culture. That's right. Because mm-hmm. whiteness itself is not, it's not, when you talk about white culture or black culture, like black culture has culture. Yeah. Because of, of, of circumstances, because of so many things in America, but whiteness itself really doesn't be so, it, because it takes away like it takes away Irish culture or French mm-hmm. culture, or German, or English yeah. culture or yeah. German yeah. or or a blend of a bunch of shit. That's right. Um, and, and it kind of like homogenizes and whitewashes it to where, you know, you think mayonnaise is a spice or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not a spice, Lord. <laughs> no, Lord. <laughs> And that raisins go in potato salad. That's right. Oh, the devil's a whole lie. But I, I agree with you. I, that white, yeah. that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Yeah, and that's right. I, actually, you say it, somebody would probably be offended by you. Uh, some white person would probably be offended by you saying that, not understanding what you mean when you say yeah. that. And why Why can there be a, I've actually heard this, like seen this this back and forth on the internet with these with these keyboard warriors. So not, why can there be a black culture and there can be a, because because where do you know where your people came from, don't you? I bet you know where your grandmother, grandmother, grandmother came from. I bet mm-hmm. you know that. Yeah. You, want, you know, you, there's there's a whole ninety percent of the United States that's black do not know. That's right. They don't know. As far as they know, they originated right here in the United States, which is not true. But that's all that's they true. know, and they yeah. can't trace it back. But so far, because mm-hmm. yes. you know, and that's and the, so you develop your own culture, which is mm-hmm. quote black culture. So there's right. not really a white culture situation. So I definitely, and yes, that was said in jest, <laughs> but yes, that makes that makes total sense. One thing I want to put out there as a question to everybody: we use these words interchangeably, ghosts mm-hmm. and spirits and souls and whatnot. But is there a difference? Because when I when I think of the word ghost, I'm thinking of like haunting. It, mm-hmm. I, I'm always thinking of the word haunting and something that's hanging around with unfinished business and whatnot. But when I think of the word spirit for what, maybe it's because of my religious upbringing, it already puts me in a spiritual mindset. So I'm either, either this is a good spirit or a bad spirit or somebody possessed with a spirit or, you know, it's a good spirit. The place had a good spirit about it. You know, it has so many meanings, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean different, even though we use them interchangeably, does it mean different things to you all? Personally? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know that I've ever taken the stop to define these, but a ghost, and I'm thinking of Keith's story um, with your dad's best friend. Um, yes. Like that story to me feels like a ghost. And so I guess yeah. my definition of that, of that would be some sort of energy love left over. I don't know. That's not quite the right word, but some sort of energy that's earthbound for okay. some reason, yeah. because he didn't know he didn't, he was right. looking for you in the wrong bunk. That's right. He didn't know. He had to ask, are you so-and-so's son? He, he wasn't That's coming right. with sort of like wisdom. He wasn't, it didn't sound feel malicious to me, That's but right. he was That's coming right. from a state of unknowing, a searchingness. Yeah. Um, whereas wow. yeah. like spirit soul has um, access to a little more fluidity, a little more wisdom, and they're not earthbound. They may choose to come and interact. Oh, with I love us, that. But I, they have I would never have thought of that. I would never have thought of that, Katie. Wow. Maybe Thank you for noticing that. You know, I do this for a living. <laughs> That's true. <laughs>
Well, yeah. so I wonder, I wonder how ancestor fits in with that. Is is ancestor in one of those categories? Does it cover both of those categories? Our ancestor is an unelevated ancestor. I don't know. <laughs> right. Ooh. I know. I. I think that that's an, and that's a term that sometimes gets used. I think it's worth naming that, that term, unelevated ancestor. Um, there you go. As, as kind of, yeah, the ones who still have some work to do. Uh, the ones who might uh, be in it for the wrong, for harmful reasons. The, um, there's, there's a lot of different, the ones who are carrying so much trauma um, yeah. that they can't show up in ways that are helpful. Um, mm, and and folks who church. are, Yeah. 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 So I think folks who are in this work a lot deeper than I am talk about how you don't invite in all the ancestors. There are some of them who can cause you harm because they still have too much work to do uh, to be able to be helpful. I have a, uh, a friend who does a lot of this kind of work. She was really involved. In, she was, you know, a lot of lesbians showed up really in powerful ways to uh, help gay men as they were dying of AIDS when this country uh, and our government had completely abandoned them. Um, yeah. So she knows a lot of folks who have gone on to the other uh, to the other side, having nursed an awful lot of men dying with AIDS. And I remember saying to her, do you get to connect with them now? And she said, I got to be honest, some of them are in so much pain that I don't connect with them because they can't, they can't show up in ways that aren't going to cause me harm in the process. I think that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's yeah. totally cool. Um, I think the whole and, dynamic, all of it, is interesting to me. Um, and sometimes yeah. when people have died, they don't always know that they've died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they, it takes sometimes a while, little while um, for them to make that realization. And I can I can imagine that someone dying in the eighties from the AIDS epidemic might take yeah. some time to figure out that they're not yeah. yet still alive. And because when they think that they're alive, they're still suffering. And so that energy of still suffering mm. comes through. Yeah. yeah. And I, I shared a story, I think a couple episodes ago about that, that thing I saw that was so fascinating about after the Fukushima tsunami oh, earthquake yeah. thing. Right. And then these taxi drivers were picking up people that were giving, telling the taxi driver an address. And then when they got to the house, they would be like, see, it was destroyed. And then they would say, am I dead? And yeah. that's, Ooh, wow. that kind of rings true to what you're saying, Katie, like, that yeah. all these people died so suddenly in such a quick and traumatic ways that there's they were still walking around and hadn't understood and figured out what happened yet and trying to trying to make sense of it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So listen, I want to throw one one two quick things in uh, since since this is the Heretic Happy Hour and we've kind of been talking about this already. I want to just acknowledge when I was working on my book, one of the things I encountered was an awful lot of. Um, Asian and Asian American and black Christians saying to me, I'm really glad you're doing this because I was taught that it was anti-Christian to connect with ancestors. And particularly I think for black and Asian folks who have non-Christian ancestors, part of it was your ancestors have nothing to teach you because they weren't saved. Uh, And part of it was, uh, we believe the Bible says that connecting with ancestors is evil because it's so clear that we shouldn't worship idols. Um, 
I, you all know the Bible better than I do. The Bible passage that sticks out in my mind on this one is that verse that no, well, very few people talk about from Matthew 27 during the crucifixion, right? Verse 57. Uh, sorry, is it verse, verse 53, uh, where it talks about, it's just stuck in, in the middle of the like death scene. Um, it says after his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the Holy city and appeared to many, uh, just randomly, right? Like the, the zombie Christians or the, you know, resurrected (laughs) from the tomb Christians, um, that, that I think the folks who are telling, uh, the, the, the missionaries in particular, but the folks who are telling, uh, black and Asian Christians not to connect with our ancestors because it's demonic, maybe didn't read the Bible very carefully. I wonder if y'all have thoughts about the Bible and ancestors. It has been my experience that a lot of people that are teaching God's word don't read it. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're normally, <laughs> they're normally teaching and preaching stuff they heard, stuff they they believe, but not stuff they know or, or have read. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, a, that's, a whole, that's a thing. They had some healing work to do with their ancestors. Yes. They have some Bible studies to degree beyond to help them. And then from another... Go ahead, Keith. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I've never heard a sermon from uh, or a Bible study uh, dealing with that verse in in a serious way because it is so odd and so weird. And most Christians have no idea what to do with that. Yeah. Because if you take it literally... It's sort of like, well, then if that really happened, no one else mentioned this. Yes. Like the other gospel writers leave that out. And gee, wouldn't that have made the front page news? Like, hey, there's like 20 dead people that, you know, died last week or two years ago and they're wandering around now. Like, yeah, really? So it's just, yeah, they just sort of ignore it. It's kind of like, let it go. And then I think about um, colonialism. Sorry, uh, Katie, when you said. Uh, the disconnect between it with blacks and Asians and I, the colonialism aspect has to come in there because it's always been like with, with whatever, wherever colonialism was taking place, it's always a separate you from your roots situation. Like that's savage. That's barbaric. That's not real. Whatever your people believe this, you need to forget all about that. It's all, it's yeah. all Jesus now. And, you know, yeah. because all when I think about uh, African Asian and just about any other, uh, ethnic ethnic group, they all have historic tradition, historic religious faith traditions that are not connected to the Bible in any kind of way. Yeah, and all were encouraged to, you know, to separate themselves from that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely it's, it's, right. It's sinful, or whatever reason they were giving, it's wrong. It's bad. Yep. You know, um, in preparation for the ancestor summit, which people can still access, I mean, it's for um, sale now, but it's very affordable. Um, I, but I did a Bible study and I was, as I was reading, I don't know, I read, um, sporadically through Exodus, um, in preparation for it. And it is, um, over and over and over. God says, go back to Egypt and tell them I am the God of your ancestors. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. The God of your mm-hmm. forefathers, forebear, whatever. It yes. is. But yes. like that's repeated yes. so, so, so often. And we we have the tradition in the Bible of people would go to an ancestor's um, grave pl- burial place and leave offerings there. And Hebrews thir- 12, 1 talks about the great cloud of witnesses who are present with us. So I feel like we need a really good Mormon here to explain this because for Mormons, <laughs> their ancestors are very present. Yeah. Very active afterlife and celestial life um, mm. that, that can be helpful. 
um, there. So, you know, it's, I mean, ancestors are all over the place in the Bible, um, interestingly. But um, one thing I want to, I want to name is that really appreciate about Shonda's work is that, um, ans- like, we're all ancestors. And it, it doesn't have not that doesn't have anything to do, but we're ancestors regardless of having biological children or not. Like everyone has the opportunity to be an ancestor. So I do think that's a bit of justice work um, because there's so much bias against people without children. Um, so I really appreciate that as speaking as one um, that I, I also yeah. get to do ancestor work that's healing for the planet. There's a, there are a number of indigenous traditions that talk about how, when we do our own healing work, we are healing the seven generations uh, behind us and the seven generations to come. Well, before I kick it to December and we land Shonda, though it's not a choir book, (gasps) I want you to plug your book. Is that allowed? Can we do that? <laughs> we run this show, of course. Oh, yeah, all right, all right. Come on. Okay, to mute anyone. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to allow it to happen this time. No, but for real, uh, Shonda, you have a wonderful book on this kind of stuff. So I will, of course, link in the show notes. But where can these lovely listeners just plug your book real quick? Yeah, oh, thanks. That's lovely. Yeah, it was really fun to write. Uh, it is about the ways we can wrestle with the complexity of our biological ancestors and how we can also connect with non-biological ancestors to encourage and support us in getting through the day, but also in uh, creating a better world together. And it, it can be found from Chalice Press. It can also be found on bookshop.org if you want to make sure not to uh, give Amazon your money. And it's available in uh, bookstores around the country. And you should definitely reach out to your local bookstore and encourage them to bring in a copy for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, I have enjoyed this and I, I'm sure at some point as it's heating up, I'm about to figure out a reason to celebrate my ancestors by having a cookout. Um, so I can eat some ribs and some macaroni and cheese and some chicken and whatever oh, else yeah. I need to do to celebrate them. Uh, but uh, hopefully you all haven't been enjoying it too. And I want you to check out our website, heretichappyhour.com and go see some stuff. We got a little something over there. Maybe check out our store. Uh, we're going to get a, a, a t-shirt on there. We need to add that t-shirt. What did you say, Keith, earlier? Oh, what, what, white Sometimes people, white people. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes white people. Coming soon to the Heretic Happy Hour store is a sometimes white people shirt and pillow and mug. Uh, so <laughs> you might want to get over there and get that. Uh, HereticHappyHour.com. Check us out. We want to see your pictures of your mugs, your ancestors, your pillows, your pets everything on yes. heresy after hours Please. and that is our free facebook group and you know what my my deceased dog's collar is on my ancestors altar so there's room for everyone at this table he really was a sweetheart um so but kind of join our facebook group i'll put a picture of my dog on there for everyone uh and uh heresy after hours lots of deconstructing people just like you you can find out tips for deconstruction reconstruction uh and everything else yeah, and you know what? Um, we just want to take a second and say thank you to everybody who supports this podcast through Patreon. We love you. We appreciate appreciate you. We thank you so much for your support. Um, and we love recording all the extra content and all the bonus stuff that's there. Uh, if you don't support us yet, you know what? There's still time. Go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. Um, support us at whatever level you're comfortable that you can. You'll still No matter what level you're at, you'll unlock lots of great stuff, including... Uh, some indulgences, so you'll make it. You'll make it straight to heaven. Uh, 
and uh, and you help us hopefully indulgence. (laughs) That's right, that's right, and so and uh, and hopefully also elevation. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, and hopefully help us uh, update our heretichappyhour.com website. Um, But yeah, and you also get access when you do that. In addition to all the other stuff, you get access to our private uh, Facebook group, Heretic Happy Hour. So go check that out. Thanks so much. And you know what? While we were doing this show, I lit a candle and your ancestors, that's right, you the listener, your ancestors came to me and said, hey, can you get a message to uh, our descendants? We want to make sure that they go on to their uh, favorite platform for podcasts and write a rating or a review for Heretic Happy Hour because it's how people like them will find people like you. Your ancestors told you to do it. It's really the time. Do it. Yes. Yes, do it. Do it. Do it now. (laughs) We don't want your ancestors to have to haunt you. That's right.